Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. Uh, I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And uh, quick plug now, we now have a Patreon. So if you like this podcast and you would like to help support it uh, coming out regularly, you can go to patreon.com slash philosophy and uh, you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. Um, and that just helps us keep the lights on, as I like to say, uh, to pay Podcast Mike, to pay Mike Hell, our producer who uh, makes it all edit together and sound good and um, uh, to pay James Fosdyke who does the original art for every single episode of this podcast. So if you like it coming out regularly and you would like to help contribute to that, then uh, Patreon is like a crowdfunding site basically where we just know we have a little bit of money coming in every month which helps us do more things with the podcast. There you go. That's pretty simple. So that's patreon.com slash philosophy. And I appreciate everybody else who has already signed up. And um, over the next weeks and months, we are going to add some, you know, bonus content and all sorts of things to the Patreon page uh, to make it worth your while. Um, Before we get to today's episode, I'm going to give a plug. Um, I'm going to give a plug to Colin Chandler of Queensland. Now, he um, is doing a thing called the Goat Track, which is, well, basically, he's in a wheelchair. He's got MS and he's trying to raise a whole bunch of money, um, you know, for MS. And uh, he is uh, uh, doing that again this year. He's done it uh, previously. It's called Goat Track Madness. It takes place 8.30 a.m. the 25th of August. Um, So if you happen to be in Highvale or nearby, um, you know, go and support. But the biggest thing you can do um, is go to, uh, Mad Goats 2019, Mad Goats 2019 to donate and register and uh, receive more information. And if there's anybody out there who happens to be in the Queensland media and is looking for an interesting story to cover, I would highly recommend uh, that you get behind Colin Chandler's story. So Mad Goats 2019 to donate and register. There you go. Uh, Today's episode is with a brilliant stand-up comedian writer called Corey White. His book, The Prettiest Horse in the Glue Factory, is just stunning. You may have seen a whole bunch of comedians tweeting about it and giving it recommendations, and the reason is that everybody's been reading it and loving it. It's just brutally honest, uh, very funny in parts as well, Um, incredibly provocative. It's just a a really great book. I've read it twice. Um, I read it originally when Corey sent a draft copy to me to get a quote, and I read it again before we did this interview. I tried to avoid most of it. That's the other thing. So uh, in this interview, I tried to talk to Corey about a whole bunch of things that are not in the book um, so that you can read the book and also you know listen to this podcast and have them as two separate things. But if you are interested in hearing a podcast where Corey talks about uh, plenty of the things that are in the book with somebody who is a super intelligent person, then Tom Ballard's podcast, Like I'm a Six-Year-Old, I really enjoyed that episode that he did with Corey, and uh, we don't cover any of the same topics, which is also really nice. Um, I love Tom's podcast, and uh, it's absolutely brilliant. So, like I'm a six-year-old, is Tom's podcast. Prettiest horse in the glue factory is Corey's book. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode, and thanks for all the support of the podcast. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. My guest who is about to have a drink of their coffee, feel free to have a drink because I'll bang on for enough time for you to have a drink. It's fine. Uh, so this is how the podcast uh, works. Um, uh, I get people on the show 
that I am interested in. I'm interested in what they think about life, what they think about the world, what they think about the universe. And I like to hear their perspective on those things. And I'm particularly excited to have today's guest on the show because uh, he's somebody that I have not really had the opportunity to sit down and had like have a really long form conversation with. And yet I feel like I've been on one side of that conversation quite a lot because I've read his book. I've, I've gone and seen him do his shows. So I feel like He's had the conversation to me, the audience member, but I have not necessarily had the conversation back to him. So we will do some of that today, but we will start the way that these uh, things always start, which is me just simply asking, who are you? Uh, hi, I'm uh, I'm Corey White. I'm a comedian and a writer. And uh, yeah, I, you and I have done gigs together, but... Uh, and you, you know, you've come to see things, but you've always been like a, a big dog, um, and who I've been slightly scared of to be truthful, <laughs> <laughs> you know, really honestly. And, uh, and also, you know, you think because you are, you know, you will Anderson, you, you know, you get heaps of people talking to you and you probably don't want to talk to them. So, you know, I'm like, Oh, well, you don't have a don't have a chat with them, make it awkward. Yep. You are talking to a man who has four unnecessary podcasts. So the idea that I, the idea that I have, like I've monetized, well, not very well monetized oh, okay. having conversations with people. It's sure. fine, Corey, but I am a great fan of yours. Like as a, a performer, as a comedian, um, you know, Melbourne Comedy Festival, I don't get to see, you know, cause we're working, you know, it's like, yeah. it's hard to then go and see shows, but I came and saw your show this year during the festival again, and just, you know, brilliant. Oh. Like, made, made me laugh out loud, um, you know, a real refreshment in the middle of the festival. Sometimes as a comedian, as you would know, yeah. going to see another show can almost be like, you know, doing a show exactly. of your own in an exhausting sense, but it was absolutely delightful. And your book, The Prettiest Horse in the Glue Factory, uh, which is, you know, well, I mean, the excuse we have for talking today yes, is yeah. stunning. I was lucky enough to read a, a proof copy of it mm -hmm. and it's, it's it just an incredibly stunning piece of work. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice of you. Um, yeah, I, I reckon it's okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> How do you go at even saying that though? Because oh. like one of the things that, um, uh, and by the way, you're not, um, uh, having a stroke at the moment. There is a light flashing in our studio, which I believe is the warning that there is a fire drill on right now. Fantastic. But... I love it. I hope there is a fire. Yeah. We should like take the equipment down through the building as everyone's running. Around. Oh, just keep podcasting. Just by the way, I do know it's street. a drill. Okay. It, like it's, this building is not on fire. But it'd be great if this was the way I intimidated my guests. I got them into the studio. Suddenly, lights started flashing. <laughs> it's oh, like... What's happening? Oh. <laughs> um, be, this is also the worst time for a real fire to happen because nobody's going to take it seriously. Or the best time for a pyromaniac to start a fire. Yes. Like, uh, that would be the ideal thing, isn't it? Like, uh, yes. And luckily, this isn't going live, uh, so <laughs> pyromaniacs can't come in and do it, but uh, that's nice. Okay. So, um, so, so tell me this. So, you've written this book. Mm -hmm. And you said to, to me just then, you know, that you think it's, think it's okay. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about saying, you know, be having to promote yourself? Uh, I feel uncomfortable. I mean, I'm from Queensland mm. and, uh, self, the only time you're ever allowed to promote yourself is, you know, promoting origin and mm. that you've watched it. <laughs> it's just weird. I, I don't know. I feel very uncomfortable promoting or, uh, yeah, talking about myself like that, I, I'm much more interested in like listening to others, definitely. And so that's a hard thing to do, though, when you have something that you are literally supposed to promote contractually. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> when money is riding 
on you, you know, not being a big baby about it. But yeah, Corey White. If I, yeah, my quote on my own book would be, "It's okay." Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereas if I it was someone else's book, I, you know, I'd be like, "Oh, it's incredible, whatever." But um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I've never been one for. I, I don't enjoy self promotion. It makes me profoundly uncomfortable. Um, yeah, and I need to get out of that. I need to grow through that for sure. Do you think that's just a Queensland thing? Is it a result of, you know, things that are very essential to your personality in the way that you were raised, your life story? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, the Queensland thing's a shield. Um, yeah, it's it's a big shield. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's uh, definitely down to how I was brought up. Um, I just, uh, you know, I, I guess I have a low self-esteem, things like that. And, um, you know, I'm not given to even talking about myself in positive ways. Um, at all, yeah. So I don't. Well, you know what? You're going to have to strap yourself in for the next 70 minutes or so because Shit. I'm going to make we you talk to about yourself. I'm, yeah, I'm okay with talking about myself, but not I'm, in a positive Well, there's, I'm going to talk about you in some positive okay. ways. All right, that's cool. And we, we'll balance it out. Between the two of us, we'll okay. talk about you in a positive way. That's, okay. yeah. that's cool. So um, uh, I'll, I'll ask you the question that I ask, which is kind of the, 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 the broad premise for the podcast is I like to ask people mm -hmm. whether they have a life philosophy. Really, it's just a kind of way of me trying to get to the heart of, you know, asking somebody, what do you think life is about? But do you have a life philosophy or a work philosophy? Yeah, I think um, I was thinking about this on the way here. Um, I, you know, like growing up, um, you know, that affected me uh, a lot in, in terms of what I did as an adult, you know, drug addiction, mental health stuff. And uh, for years, I kind of looked for a philosophy um, and I was always trying to um, discover some secret to being happy, to um, being able to, you know, thrive and, and prosper. And it was always too difficult for me. You know, I, I, in the book, I talk about, you know, continually thinking that things are going to be the answer in my life, you know, whether that's academia, whether that's comedy, whether it's drugs, whether it's love. And um, a couple of years ago, I sort of talk about this in the book, you know, there was a bit of a breakdown. And in the wake of that, I was sort of reading a lot about um, Taoism, which is a really interesting um, Chinese philosophy, which is about um, sort of letting go of things. There's a really great line, which I think about often, and it says, uh, if you want to shrink something, let it expand. Um, and it's, it's uh, in the Tao Te Ching, which is kind of like the central book of Taoism. And that's probably something that I think about a lot. Like, if you want to shrink something, let it expand. The idea that there's, you know, feedback mechanisms in life um, that eradicate uh, things in themselves. So, for example, um, you, you know, you think about like uh, communism, right, in Eastern Europe. Um, you know, the West fought against communism in Eastern Europe enormously, right? But I think really the thing that ended communism was communism itself. People experienced it, its excesses, Stalinism, all of that. And simply by letting communism be fully developed and uh, ruin people's lives, eventually people stopped believing in it. And I don't think the West could have ended communism any more effectively than communism ended itself. So could the um, extension of that argument be yeah. that currently what's happening in America might be ending capitalism yes. or that sort of free market. Definitely. You know. And I think maybe something like that did happen uh, to capitalism in the 19th century with child labor laws. Um, you know, there are a lot of protesters and activists who were campaigning for, you know, uh, anti-child worker laws in the 19th century. But I think that really required people to see the horror of children's being stu stuffed in, in coal mines and things like that. Yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting perspective. You, you talk about the idea of the book being a series of, you know, looking for a 
this this will fix it or this will be the thing that gets me on track or mm-hmm. this will be the yeah. situation where you know um it, <laughs> this it, is the answer this is yeah, the golden yeah, answer this is the golden bull yeah this is great yeah now i think a lot of people are looking for an answer yeah. or the answer. Exactly, the silver bullet that fixes all the problems, the panacea, for sure. And you've had a, an experience, you know, a, a, of having found plenty of things that you felt like fit into that slot. Oh, yes. And then constantly realizing, oh, hang on, perhaps this hasn't <laughs> hasn't solved everything. Yeah, maybe ice isn't going to fix yeah. my child. <laughs> All right, I'll hop off the. I'll I'll stop riding the glass, Harley. <laughs> um, so tell me about. Uh, I, I'm interested. If people want to know your story, there are, and I'm sure we will touch on much of it yet yep. today during this. But you know, they can they can read the book. There was an Australian story on you. Yep. you know, there is some information out there. I want to start a bit, if I could, with yep. where you're at now. Rather yeah. than going back to, you know, yeah. you know, tell us what it was like to be in foster care and, you know, perhaps we will get to that as sure. well. But I want to know where you're at now. What's you, what's yeah. your life look like now? I mean, you've just, you know, written a book, you're on the publicity trail, you're, mm-hmm. you know, appearing on TV and radio, you know, with your, with your book. What does what Corey White's world look like at the moment? Um, it's one that's filled with happiness. Um, I'm... Uh, really satisfied in my life. I uh, am engaged to be married to a wonderful woman um, named Sophie, and um, I am a little bit chubby. I look like a professional dance player at the moment. It's uh, <laughs> my go-to line in parties. I've got so, to say, so... that is good. Though. It's a good line. A, it is a good line because yeah, you I do so. have a look of a professional I know, dance player. Right? <laughs> like a successful professional oh, yeah, dance yeah, player. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's... Not just a dance player. Okay, yeah, he's a professional. Yeah. He's not some amateur. He's no. <laughs> he's won at least one Northern Irish championship. <laughs> <laughs> he's a force to be reckoned with in, in like, Cork County, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I um, I'm really happy. I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life, and um, uh, yeah, I mean, my whole life at the moment is is publicising the book, um, and I'm yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's weird talking about happiness. It just feels like you're bragging. Do you know what I mean? I feel like you shouldn't even talk about it. It's like rubbing it in people's faces. But I'm how, happy. How how have you got to be happy? Because yeah. you know the. The short version of your story is, you know, um, a whole bunch of tragedy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. That's uh, that's one the, after another. The author's bio yeah. jacket. It's just like shit happens yeah. every day. New and different, more horrifying shit happens. <laughs> the end. Yeah. But he's happy now. He's happy now. He's doing all right. Yeah. So yeah, how do, how do you get up. from that? How do you get from this life lived in the sort of margins that you yeah. know the rest of society you know choose to ignore or pretend to ignore or don't even know exists in the first place yeah. to, you know, this guy that I see in front of me who genuinely seems happy. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess it, it is that idea of things having to get bad before they get better. I think that all of those phases in my life, um, you know, all of that tragedy and its consequences in drug addiction, mental health issues, um, loneliness. I think those things had to happen and that they were really instructive to me. They gave me wisdom. Um, and it's sort of like, I think a large part of life is learning what doesn't work for you. And I have learned a lot about what doesn't work for me or other people. Real done in a, a real exhaustive adventure. Into uh, yeah, what doesn't yeah, work. yeah. I wouldn't use the word experiment because no. was, there was very little clipboard action. Yeah. No, but, no lab coats. Uh, no lab coats. No, um, none of those like protective goggles. Mm. But uh, yeah, I feel like in some sense you just have to throw 
shit against the wall and um, see what sticks. And I've thrown a lot of shit against the wall and um, a lot of it slid off and, and there's a few bits there and I'm pushing this metaphor to its absolute limits. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you, you work out what doesn't work and, and what is that, whatever is left is what um, is good for you, I think. Yeah, what's your practice like you know what's your day to day that keeps you in this moment without you know the kind of baggage of everything that's come before well i'm a comedian you know we don't well you do you're successful but i'm it's there's no daily routine whatsoever (laughs) 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 like i woke up at six o'clock this morning but you know four days ago it was one (laughs) o'clock i was staying up rewatching chernobyl um i was like oh there's there's comedy in this (laughs) right i didn't realize they were all british yeah the one yeah i know right there was a one twist in that whole thing i was like oh i I thought that would have got more publicity that they were British. Yeah, nobody talked about it. They were cowards. Um, Didn't you think, by the way, that the TV series Chernobyl, it was because they've cast all these, yeah, in that classic American way, which is mm-hmm. like, well, we can't have them speaking Russian. No, no. Like no one's going to understand and yep. people don't want to read subtitles. Yeah. So what we're going to do is hire British accents because they speak in a British accent. That's just, that's code for foreign. Yes. We yeah. all know that means they're foreign. Sure, sure. But also England is the only place you can find actors ugly enough because yeah. there's no... Actors that ugly in America. <laughs> All the Hollywood actresses, actors and actresses don't look like that. Yeah, there's something profoundly unhealthy about the British head. Yeah. <laughs> Just, it's sort of, I don't want to get into like phrenology, but I remember going to Edinburgh for the first time. Uh, it was Scotland, you know, and I just remember walking through the streets like, what happened to these people? And I found out the answer and it's because you go into their supermarket and you pick up a piece of fruit and it's like, that's not an apple. You know, like you, their fruit, everything is horrible, um, which doesn't make sense to me because I'm like, you know, go across the pond, get the French food. They look mm. beautiful. You people look like like uh, albino cave trolls, <laughs> you know? <laughs> We're doing a lot of body shaming here. Oh, we are, really. <laughs> terrible. Well, it's been all over the place so yeah. far, but that's okay. We, sure. we've, we've had to fight... The fact that we were in the middle of a fire drill. Yeah. There was a flashing overcome. light. There was, it felt like a really bad rave from the 80s for a little while. That was... uh, yeah. Um, our producer was uh, taking ecstasy for some reason. Yeah. So, but this is cool. There's uh, a description in your book about um, the first time that you took ecstasy. Oh, yes, yes. Which is, can you take us, um, can you take us back to that moment? Because yeah. it, it, there was, when I read that, I was like, oh, this is somebody who is genuinely describing a moment. Yeah. Um, did you connect to it personally, Will? <laughs> yes, I certainly did, Corey. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I does, yeah, I feel like it's a pretty common experience. Like that first time that you drop ecstasy is just unbelievable. Uh, it is like every kiss you've ever had with a beautiful person. It's like every A on an exam. It's like every puppy that licked your face all at once. It's like... Oh my God, I didn't know you could feel this good. And and it was extra good for me because at the time I was incredibly depressed. So I, you know, it was like, uh, it was the most unbelievably positive thing I'd ever experienced. And, you know, I just looked bug-eyed. I thought, I thought I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I also just, I mean, uh, you know, I spent basically the following, after I did ecstasy for the first time, um, basically every weekend thereafter for a long time, I was just going out, getting ecstasy. I just had to get it. I was like a rat with a cocaine pedal, just like, give me that cocaine, except it was ecstasy. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, Cocaine's way too expensive. Uh, for, yeah. <laughs> for a 19, 19 year old student, as I was at the time. Well, I mean, I think it's too expensive for everybody. But yeah. also, <laughs> like, I think that ecstasy, you know, it has the greatest sales pitch of all time included in it, which is it makes you want to get more ecstasy. Yeah. It's a very, very good trick. You know, often, like, if you, you know, eat a. You know, eat a burger or whatever. You'd be like, I'm full. I don't need mm. any more burgers. Yeah. But ecstasy always made you go, you know what? It'd be good. A little <laughs> bit more ecstasy. <laughs> That's what it'd be great. Uh, yeah. Um, ice, uh, ice has improved upon that formula as well. <laughs> Meth is whew, very Moorish, as they say. Um, heroin too. Uh, we should get Fleety in to talk about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, you know, especially for someone with my background, that feeling of unadulterated pleasure, un divided glory and, and joy is just so intoxicating. I mean, I was well, dropping to my knees. I was, you know, taking my shirt off. I was like, yes, this is the best. Well, it felt like, as you described it, and so that's, I guess, what I wanted to ask you about is a lot of people, yes, have that experience when mm-hmm. they first, you know, take a drug like yeah. that because that's the effect of the drug. Yeah, that's what's supposed to happen. But it did feel like it was more for you because it felt like almost you'd never had a moment like that in your life up until that point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, extra special for me. And, um, I, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe you're right. Yeah. That was, I'd never had anything approaching that, that happiness ever. And yeah, I fell into it completely for sure. So you, you, you try drugs for happiness. You try, you know, um, uh, different drugs, yeah, different for, for <laughs> happiness. Try some other drugs. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe we'll just try some other drugs. See if that. See if that works. But now I, you know, I see this happy, genuinely happy man mm-hmm. sitting in front of me. Yeah. So I guess when I say what's your daily routine, I don't mean like you know, are you getting up at six and going for yeah. a walk? But I'm. Sure. But I. What I do mean is what what you know what has resulted in the man I see in front of me who seems to be a man who yeah has a great deal of peace about him mm. has a great deal of happiness about him you know you know has been able to you know complete this like amazing book you know you know tell this story in this really compelling and interesting and also funny way yeah. particularly considering you know how dark some of the you know things you're talking about in sure. there are so how does all that happen and then you end up the man who's in front of me now that's a very good question. This is a much better interview than most. Uh, <laughs> congratulations, Will, <laughs> for stumping me. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, there's a, there's a, it's, it's mysterious. I, I don't think I chose these things. I know that's not a very satisfying answer to no, say. No. I want the real answer. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. need a, I don't need a satisfying answer. Sure. I okay. want, I, I want to okay. know what you think. I, I don't think. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It just, I feel like I passed through a lot of suffering and pain and I walked through it unscathed and I emerged and I don't know, I'm just happy. I just, I survived. I think it was luck and luck has affected me a lot in my life. Um, in bad luck, uh, marked my childhood. Good luck marked me going to boarding school and being chosen to go to boarding school. Uh, good luck involved uh, was involved when I um, received a telemarketer's phone call uh, on, on a bridge when I was going to kill myself. Yeah, I just, I feel very lucky. I think luck, I don't think there was, it was an act of volition or willpower or, or insight or courage. I just, 
survived, you know? I know that's, I feel, I feel like I've disappointed you in some deep way, but I, I really, I just survived and I feel like those things just kept me moving along and I, I'm here and I'm happy. I survived it. Well, I don't, I, 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 I don't, that doesn't disappoint me okay, at yeah. all. Okay. In fact, if anything, I, I'm much happier with that answer because yeah. I think that so often, you know, we, we think that there is some sort of solution, sure. you know, yeah. If, you know, if I do this or if I just do this, or yeah. if, if you'd said something and there's someone out there going, oh, well, I'll do that sure, and then sure. I'll be happy as well. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas yeah. that's not necessarily the case. Like, no. I'm sure that there is, have you, have you been asked the question about whether writing the book and putting it all down means that you can let it go? And the, uh, Yeah. Yeah. The catharsis. Oh, was yes. it cathartic? I don't, I, was I, it cathartic? No, it was, well, it's, it's more complicated than yeah. that. Um, there are no cut and dried answers. It's not black and white. Um, it's not black and Corey white. Um, it's, <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, there are elements of catharsis. There are elements of relief at sort of putting it away. And I, I guess there is a part of me that wants to move past it and not revisit it. Certainly professionally, I don't want to be characterized by exploring childhood and trauma anymore. I want to, you know, talk about farts and, and cum and stuff like that. Um, I want to be known as the cum comedian. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, there's a, you know, there's always a pressure with, there's been a pressure with this book, you know, of people who see me as a sort of inspirational figure things like that. And I guess I, I, I carry around that, that feeling that you've got to be a hero to people and, and provide an answer. Um, uh, yeah. And, you know, I think people want to believe that writing the book can fix somebody, even if it's not them, that, oh, he'll be fixed. And maybe I can find something like that. The I guess, you know, when I spoke about, you know, that Taoist idea of if you want to shrink something, let it expand. I think that's the best idea I have about why I've become happier that I, it, I mean, it's time, but it's more than just time. It's the things that happened in time that the, the worst things happening sort of make you move away from them and you move in an opposite direction. Then you, you're like a pinball, you know, hitting shit and meth and, you know, bad luck and all of this stuff. And suddenly you end up in a, a high score pocket and you get an extra ball. That's sort of, that's what I feel like. Yeah, if you're if you're lucky enough to survive pushing it to the absolute excess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not a foolproof plan. It's not a foolproof plan. Yeah. Medicare is yeah. not advocating my plan. Yeah. Uh, did you have Did you have childhood trauma? You know, yeah. do you have psychological issues? Go out and take meth for a year, and then after that, uh, think about suicide. And if you survive, yeah. you you are worth. Yeah. It, your life is worth living. <laughs> it's um. There's a lot of bodies on the floor with that particular <laughs> medical recommendation. <laughs> not foolproof we don't have a hundred percent success right but the ones that it's worked for yeah it's really worked for yeah um look i i mean i also think uh i mean we live in a culture right now and a, and a moment um where we are obsessed with sickness and trauma and suffering and uh that's fine those things exist you can't deny them but i think um and we've borrowed so much language from psychology and psychiatry um, you know, we talk about triggering people. We talk about safe spaces. These, this is language developed by uh, therapeutic professionals. But what's been neglected as the media and like, you know, uh, certainly progressives um, and left-wing um, activists uh, in borrowing that language is they've neglected the other side of the equation, which is this enormous human capacity for resilience. You know, we have, there is something indestructible in the human spirit. You know, and I don't know, 
I mean, I, I can hazard a few guesses as, as to what that is. I think that, uh, you know, evolutionarily, I mean, we came from cavemen and cavewomen whose lives were way more fucked up than ours. They were like thinking about saber-toothed tigers, right? They're like, you know, going to war with like other, you know, human species, you know, cracking each other with skulls, like clubs over the skull and stuff. Like the lives of our ancestors were way worse and the, and the people that couldn't hack it you know, didn't survive. They didn't reproduce. And I think in some sense, just on a genetic uh, level, we're the inheritors of that, that, that strength. And I, I think that's in all of us right now. Um, not to get too Darwinian about things. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I guess spiritually, uh, human beings can, can take a lot. Um, and I think that we are strong deep down as naff or platitudinous as that sounds. We are very, very strong people. And uh, I don't think that strength can ever be taken from us. It just remains with us. Well, you're, you're, you have been strong. Like you have gone through, you know, like, I mean, you know, we, you talk about the strength of the, the cavemen, but yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you added the extra, you, you were the kid in the foster cave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The I mean? foster cave. Oh my God. That is incredible. The but, foster cave. But that's that, you know, you've really had to struggle. So sometimes when you look at this world of, trigger warnings and safe yeah, spaces do sure. you sometimes feel that we are being too protected or do you think these are positive things for us to consider but the way they're being implemented is yeah. not correct what's your yeah. thinking around that um I, I used to be a big devotee to those ideas um because i think human beings um want to be compassionate and empathetic and those things are sensitive which 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 is a good quality these days, I'm increasingly skeptical of it. I think that there's a there's a way in which concerns about sickness and vulnerability breed sickness and vulnerability. And I don't want to get too Thatchery about it, you know, too right wing about it. But I feel like fragility. The more you treat people as fragile little things, the more they become fragile little things. You know, I think suffering is important in some way. Um, suffering is. It hardens us. And I, I mean, you think about just children. I mean, they have to suffer to learn, you know, like uh, every child has to burn their hand on a stove to learn that hot things shouldn't be touched. And I wonder how far that principle extends, you know? Yeah. It, we, we, yes. We, that we shouldn't stop them from ever, you know, being able to burn themselves. But yeah. at, the same, at the same stage, we shouldn't be holding the hand to a flame to teach them a lesson. No, no, I'm, I'm not advocating that. <laughs> um, but... Um, but, I'm paraphrasing Thatcher, yeah. but I think that's what she said. You know, I just, uh, I mean, yeah, the, obviously things are uh, subtle and nuanced, but I feel like we're in a moment where we've gone too far the other way. And I look at myself and I look at the people that I know who are really um, thriving and prospering, who who have similar experiences to the ones I had. And uh, these people are strong and they um, they made their peace with suffering. I think our culture is very uncomfortable with suffering. We want to, we want to get rid of all suffering. We want to get rid of all pain. Um, and we do it with policies and regulations and oversight and, um, you know, I go to therapy over everything. Um, I think, and this is what religion does well. I'm not religious. I'm an atheist. Um, but I think what religion does is it reconciles human beings to suffering and it, it, it makes suffering noble and it makes suffering, um, intrinsically, good it's not this thing that intrudes upon your life and your dignity but it's wrapped up with your life and your dignity so i guess maybe from a very young age i thought that suffering was good 
um, or that there was something to be gotten from suffering, that it was, it made you better and stronger. And was that a message that you were giving yourself or did you feel like that was a message you were getting from the broader society? Because there'd be the people who would argue that this theory behind religion is that the, those who are most religious, yep. you know, those who most believe that suffering is good for you are those who are, who are suffering the most and are being told by those who aren't doing the suffering. Yes. Yes. That, you know, no, no, this suffering, you know, this will, this will get you to heaven. the best. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Keep on go suffering. Down, go down to your local <laughs> shop and get some suffering. suffering. Um, perhaps, perhaps. Um, but you know, just because people cynically exploit something doesn't mean that it's true, that it's not true. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You know, they're I all, like that. Just yeah. because somebody cynically exploits something doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but a lot of people, uh, making uh, a lot of money off the fact that, uh, you know, you can have an engine that defies gravity. It's absolutely mm. disgusting what they're doing. <laughs> Cynically exploiting anti-gravity energy propulsion to move people over the earth. Absolutely disgusting. Okay. Yeah, good point. Well, mate. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, like, I mean, my father was a very violent man um, and he was mentally ill. He was an alcoholic. He was a gambler. Uh, and he was very domestically violent. Um and he also professed to be a Christian. And so very early on, I was introduced to Christian, Christian ideas. And, you know, a, a key theme, a thread running through all Christianity is this idea that God bestows suffering on you because it's part of his plan. And so I guess from a very early age, I mean, maybe this is pre-verbal. Uh, my dad was a weird guy. He was probably reading Bible stories to me when I was a baby. But, uh, yeah, I always had this idea that suffering was part of life. Um and, you know, I mean, you look at the figure of Christ uh, just as a literary figure, the way that Christ in the New Testament is essentially is God um, wounding himself to save others is an incredibly powerful idea. There's something very beautiful about that. And that beauty remains, you know, I think to me, for me to this day, that that idea of the God that kills itself to save Humanity, which doesn't make sense, right? Like, you know, as an adult, like, uh, like what are the links? Like, why can't you just save people? You know, like Doug Stanhope has a great line where he's like, it's like I hit my sh foot with a shovel to s save your, you money on your mortgage. Like, why, why, why do you have to do that? But yeah, I think very early on suffering was something that was okay or it was, it was part of the, the, the fabric of life. And so you say that you're an atheist yourself, yeah. but was there ever a point where, you look to religion as being the answer to any of the things that you were going through in your life? Uh, I, I tried to, I tried to have a crack at Christianity at, um, uh, when I went to university, I was staying at a college and there were these, um, I was like pretty miserable. And there were these, there was a group of Christians and they were, their leaders were like two Christians named Christian. And, um, <laughs> this is real. <laughs> now, their Christian names were Christian? Yeah, their Christian names yeah, were okay. Christian and they were Christian. <laughs> okay. And, um, <laughs> I mean, anyway, and they were bodybuilders yeah. as well. <laughs> uh, really? Yeah, they were like, like really buff yeah. and they drink protein shakes. <laughs> Jesus said, take this. <laughs> exactly. This is my body in shake form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and of course, they justified that theologically with the idea that you, the body, uh, my body is a temple, temple. Your body is a temple, all that sort of mm. stuff. It's been given to you by God, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and uh, they seemed really happy and I was miserable. So I um, I sort of went along with them to this um, uh, church called the Christian Outreach Center. Uh, and its acronyms in like neon letters were COCK. And so I went to <laughs> COCK. 
So I went to cock with the two Christians named Christian. Christian. <laughs> and um, it was like a happy clap for church. Uh, you know, and it's like, um, <laughs> I just, like so it's like Christian rock and stuff. Yeah. And um, actually one time, I, I went there a couple of times, but one time there was like a Christian rock band. It's yeah. like, um, you know. Technically cock rock. Co- cock rock. Yeah. Yes, that's fantastic. Um, and uh, so I went there and uh, one time there was a Christian rock band and the guy's, you know, singing about love and salvation. And then he, I swear to God, he forgot the words. And I saw him just like go, Mm-hmm. Oh, Jesus, Jesus <laughs> loves us. <laughs> Mumble Jesus, which is wonderful. <laughs> when in doubt, throw in a Jesus. Throw in a Jesus. Throw in a Jesus. Throw in an amen. You know what? It's yeah. fine. So, um, uh, but I went along and I tried really hard to find yeah. Christianity. And um, I to the point where I, for a little while, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm... Um, yeah, I think I've, I think I heard Jesus last night. <laughs> and then I think it was Jesus or a guy forgetting some song lyrics. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, uh, you know, two days later, I'm like, oh, these people are idiots. <laughs> I'm, I can't be them. They're idiots. Um, and, you know, because uh, they, they were also, you know, they're like evangelicals, like the least interesting uh, intellectually form of Christianity. Like it's got to be Catholicism or bust, maybe high Anglicanism. But... Um, yeah, I uh, I tried. Yeah, but it, what, what what do you think the appeal of organised religion is for people? Uh, well, you know, death gives you an answer, right? And um, you know, that's appealing, like immortality. Where I think a lot of us are terrified of death, and you know, even if you're an atheist, I mean, you know, think about what you'd do if like a scientist came up to you and was like, "Hey, I got this serum for immortality. All you have to do is Adam and say Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve." I would say that over and over again, and give me that immortality serum, right? Um, yeah, I think it's the escaping death more than anything. And also giving life ultimate meaning that you can always orient yourself towards no matter what happens. So what do you think? What do you think the appeal of organized religion is? Well, I, I agree with you that often it's that answer to that question of what, what happens when we die. Yeah. You know, like I also think that there is that, that it has been used structurally sure. for people to justify you're going through shit, yep. but there will be a better life than the life. Don't pay so much attention sure. to the fact that your life is shit now, yeah. because if you follow these rules and don't ask too many questions, sure. there's a better life coming for you at a later point. Yes. And that's a very progressive take on religion. And I certainly think there's truth to it, but also, um, you know, religion has also been used. I mean, you know, Martin Luther King, for example, uh, many other reformers, um, social reformers, have used religion in in, in its best possible sense. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it's complicated. There are there are multiple things happening. So, what do you, as an atheist, do yeah. you believe that when what what happens when we die? Uh, well, I think that when you die, um, people, f- you know, forget your name within twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then like you get buried. <laughs> You get buried. <laughs> oh, your grandkids are going to be like, 20 years? Ah, oh, Richard. Remember Richard? They're going to be like, ah, oh, Grandpa. They don't even call you Richard. Right? Um, uh, and then you get buried in a graveyard and probably knowing my luck uh, and our luck and the prevailing capitalist economy, the graveyard gets sold to property developers and they dig up your corpse and just throw you in the tip. <laughs> And then people have no sense of the sacred anymore, or the divine. So it's like, ah, oh, well, it's, it's, it's the economy. 
That's what I think happens when you die. How, how much of the fact that you don't think that anything happens when you die? And that's, mm. I mean, that's also the belief that I subscribe to. Yeah. I mean, look, controversial, with, edgy. I got to be. I mean, without, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so but, brave. I hadn't, I hadn't done the sort of car park yeah. extension of it, but, okay. <laughs> but I also subscribe to that. Sure, they're sure. going to bury us somewhere. They're going to dig us up for a car park. One hundred percent, exactly what I believe happens yeah. when you die. Yeah, <laughs> you could not have explained it better. I'll be buried somewhere peaceful, and twenty years later, somebody will just dig up my grave and put in a car park. Yeah. Uh, so, so, like teenagers will be like making out in a in a car on in that car park, and they'll be like, "Did you hear something? Was that is that a ghost there? Yeah. At, like your spirit, like ah." Yeah, at best, I'll have like, you know, a couple of years of teenage goths fingering on my grave <laughs> before they turn it into a car park. <laughs> oh, the deep indignity of it. That's wonderful. <laughs> so um, how does that then inform how you live your life? Because that, that's the question that I like to ask people. Yeah. Because there is this argument from those who do believe yeah. that how do you have a moral center to your life? How do you make your decisions day to day if you don't have some sort of you know, overall overarching sort of belief system. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to, I used to, you know, parrot the party line that, you know, meaning is chosen. Um, you know, we create meaning for our lives, but I think that, uh, it is actually a real problem. Um, an idea of God does, or an afterlife or a divinity does create a permanent eternal meaning in the universe. Um, and without it, I think that ultimately society is based on quicksand uh, and we can cover it up and try and run away from the fact. But there is, a, there is, I mean, there is a nihilistic truth to everything. None of this means anything. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's very problematic. But I mean, you, yeah, you trick yourself and you say it matters. Um, and I mean, in a sense, it's, you know, a lot of things are still pleasurable. Chocolate still feels good. Ecstasy still still feels good. Riding the glass Harley still, you know, feels good. Um, shouldn't do it. Don't, don't ride the glass Harley. Don't uh, smoke the pipe. But um, <laughs> I'm repeating that mostly for myself. But things still feel... <laughs> yeah. Things still feel... No, no one at home knows this, but Corey held up a picture of himself <laughs> and spoke to the picture... <laughs> Yeah, and I had a in the picture. I had a meth pipe, and then I put I, I drew an X yeah. on it over the meth pipe. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, exactly. That no, was like that Ghostbusters red circle, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just with the line through. <laughs> no meth pipe. No. Mythbusters. <laughs> the sequel to Mythbusters. Yeah. Oh no, we already have Mythbusters. Oh no, no, this, this is Mythbusters. Yeah, we see. Um, we see how uh, whether meth really does fuck up your life. Yeah. We want to prove that yeah. for the viewers at home. Now, a lot of people think that if you take a lot of meth, you can pull out all your own teeth. <laughs> Not on Mythbusters. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, they, they both hosts will have to be rake thin. Yeah. The chubby one isn't getting on, mate. Yeah, and and also your glasses are smashed because you dropped them when you were high. <laughs> you can't wear that stupid beret. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think um, no, I think that you know if there is no God, uh, life doesn't have an intrinsic meaning. Of course, things can still be pleasurable. Um, you know, chocolate feels good, all of that. Love is great. Um, but those questions around like duty and all of the things that people use religion to justify, like duty, morality, um, sacrifice, I think it's hard to justify them without a God. And something I think about a lot, actually, I think a lot about God and why God is important, why religion is important. And I think, you know, it has existed for a very long time, for a very good reason, for strong evolutionary reasons of which we may not completely understand. Uh, 
What else do you think about a lot? Because you, <laughs> you strike me as someone who thinks about the world a mm. lot. And I'm often uh, interested in the fact that you will have a contrary opinion to mm. the prevailing you sure. know, wisdom of the time. And yeah. I think that is, you know, one, one of the things I admire about your work is that you're not afraid to go, yes, I get that everybody thinks this at the moment. Sure. But how about, how about also this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else? Um, I mean, well, like when you look at society at the moment and yeah. you've, you've made, you know, television shows around these themes, yeah. when you look at the world right now, how yeah. do you assess the world that we're living in? I feel multiple contradictory feelings, um, at the same time, there's a bit of cognitive dissonance. I think, um, we live in an incredibly bleak hellscape. Uh, where social services are being cut, taxes are being cut, the rich and powerful are running rampant. Um, yeah, at the same time, I think we're living in an incredibly exciting time where technology is developing at such a, a breakneck pace, and I'm excited to see what happens with technology in particular. Um, but I also I feel like everything that's happening is perhaps necessary. Um, like, I can't imagine the world being any different than it is, you know? Does that make sense? I, I I don't know. I guess I'm at peace with the world at the same time is what I'm saying, despite all of that. I'm I'm like, I don't think this could be any different, so I've got to accept it. That's, a, that's very interesting to me. So let's walk through a couple of those steps. The yeah. first one is the idea that, you know, like you said, the, the cuts to social services, sure. as somebody's experienced that on the front line, yeah. particularly the foster care sure. system, mm -hmm. do you feel, where is, where is that system at in regard to, you know, the way society looks at the foster care yeah. system, the amount of resources that go into the foster yeah. care system? Um, well, actually, I think, um, I think uh, not to be contrary, but I think foster care funding is, is going okay. Um, it's really on the public... Um, you know, it's on the radar of the public at the moment, um, perhaps more than it's ever been. Um, Are you, this is a horribly cynical question yeah, to ask. Is it because it. of I you? love it. Uh, no, no. Are you the most high profile foster kid person who's talking about this publicly? No, Rosie Waterland. She has an experience oh, of care. bloody Rosie Bloody Waterland. Rosie Waterland. <laughs> Coming for you, Waterland. <laughs> Coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> It's weird. Uh, the only foster kid in the village, no. Um, and she's, you know, much better at media and uh, far more articulate and eloquent than I am and funnier. But, um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I no, I, I mean, I don't like that idea of one person, you know, being uh, a saviour or uh, driving forward movements. It has to be democratic. It has to be grassroots um, for things to work. I just think it's... That said, it's though, I think the, by the, media. the foster care system, yeah. though... There are so many elements of like every, you know, when for something to compete in the market of ideas, yeah, you know, there are yeah. plenty of, mm -hmm. plenty of areas of society where people need help. Yeah, definitely. You know? And often the ones that get neglected the most are the ones that don't have a voice who can speak for them or on sure. their behalf. Yeah. And something intrinsically with the system itself means that those who are going through the system probably find themselves in hard positions to be able to represent the system. Definitely, yeah. Um, and I think it's also down to demographics, um, like, you know, numbers of people who can vote um, around actions in that system. So obviously healthcare and education are 
huge policy areas for the government because you know the, the, the number of voters who care about that with a personal experience of a hospital or a primary school is huge. You know, uh, you know, disability rights, for example. You know, you're looking at like you know, maybe like six or seven percent of the population. Foster care, less than one percent. So there's like that that lack of democratic base for people who um, will vote on the basis of policies in that area. <clears throat> so I mean, I, th- I think that's just a structural problem with with um, foster care funding. Um, but the media, I guess, uh, has covered uh, at the out of home care system. Um, or out of complete proportion to how many people that it affects, which is good because the moral uh, issue there of, of what's happening is, is so great. I mean, I, I've always considered uh, kids in care to be like our country's internal refugees, you know, um, except, you know, people tend not to think about them because their names are Jaden and, and, and Megan with like six H's. Um, so, <laughs> you know, but... Uh, yeah, I ascribe it really to the media. I think there are people in high places who do care about this and are interested in the stories. And they play well. I mean, they're sad stories. And, I mean, on a clickbait level, it's kind of a, it's a good story to run. People are interested. People people like sadness and people like children, the two together. You know, that's clicks, that's views, that's hits. But there's a difference between something being poverty porn. Yeah. You know, so, us, us being able to look at that story and go, well, there you go. I've I've had a little journey through that story, but I don't have to actually. You <laughs> I love know. how you said that. It was a really nice way that you, you spoke. Then anyway. I don't have to live it, you know, myself. Yeah, you know, I've I've vacationed in this, you know, horrible world. Yeah. Um. So, how does it translate from, you know, letting people know what it's like mm. to, yeah, then that next step of, you know, how do we put in place things that actually improve the system and the experience yeah. for people? Um. Well, I think there's not a lot of follow through. Um, I think, you know, we live in a culture where people consume content, feel a lot of things and then return to their life or click on the next thing on Netflix. Um, I I think the answers in terms of changing things are getting at the levers of power, um, getting into the structure. So, for example... Um, you know, I was doing a lot of advocacy and have done a lot of advocacy, like talking at events and stuff. And I've come to not enjoy that because it feels purely symbolic and ultimately meaningless. And so I've started, actually, I've, I've just been given a job offer, which I have to take up to work with, um, in, in Victoria, the center for excellence in child and family welfare, um, you know, which liaises directly with government officials and stuff. And you sort of at the tables, you know, inside the corridors of power. I think that's the thing um, that, that's going to do it. Uh, and I think that the media is doing a good job in raising awareness, um, because that ultimately hopefully puts more pressure on politicians and that in conjunction with the people inside the rooms of power where these decisions are being made will hopefully force politicians to adopt, you know, better strategies. What do you think the least understood thing about foster care is? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think people, um, underestimate the link between um, criminality and mental health and uh, like childhood trauma and those with an experience of -of out-of-home care system, uh, the out-of-home care system. So just a lot of people down the line in jails and in, you know, psychiatric wards uh, came from broken homes and experienced some sort of contact with the the Department of Child Safety. Uh, And people don't, people like will condemn like mental illness and, and crime without understanding how much childhood trauma fucks people up. Physiologically, it fucks people up. It wires, you know, 
a lot of kids, a lot of people who grow up in abused or neglectful, abusive or neglectful homes end up developing complex PTSD. And, uh, that's basically like a more complicated form of PTSD. Mm. Um, you, yeah. oh, you've just got PTSD. Well, <laughs> I say good day to you, sir. <laughs> good day. I have. I'll tip my monocle at you. Uh, no. He doesn't actually need that. It's part of his PTSD. <laughs> he needs it. It makes him feel safe. Um, so PTSD, I mean, this is just to, by way of explanation, PTSD, we're all familiar with that idea. And it generally stems from like one traumatic incident. Like, you know, you're in Vietnam and a grenade goes off and takes your leg and you, whenever you hear lawnmowers, you scream. Mm. Complex PTSD is a weird explanation, but I think I nailed it. Complex PTSD is, um, uh, develops from, uh, people experiencing multiple incidents of trauma and threat of death from which they can't escape. Right. And so, Kids are uh, really the primary victims of complex PTSD because if you're in, a, in an abusive or neglectful home, you know, you are faced with the threat of death over and over and over and over and over again. And that ends up wiring you for, you know, to be in a constant fight or flight state. You're always ready to fight people, flee. Um, you're just on edge constantly. And that ultimately plays out. And people, you know, when they grow to adults, they uh, have drug problems, they have violence problems or, you know, in my case, um, you know, suicidality and things like that. They either explode outwardly or inwardly. And people don't really seem to draw a link between what happens to people when they're children and what they do as adults and how a lot of the problems in our society are related to what happens in childhood. There's a wonderful British psych, um, psychiatrist called uh, Felicity Dizuluweta who wrote a wonderful book called From um, Pain to Violence. Um, and she talks about that link between childhood trauma and uh, in particular domestic violence. And she did a study of British um, prisoners and found that virtually 100% of all um, violence perpetrators, male and female, uh, who were in there for violent crimes, suffered childhood trauma. So it's not saying that everybody who experiences childhood trauma ends up violent, but basically everyone that is violent in our society had childhood trauma. That's an extraordinary fact. And that really makes you question what free will is, you know? Like, why are all these people with the same, you know, experiences 20, 30, 40 years prior doing the same things? What does that say about the agency that human beings have? And people are so ready to condemn the end product of a whole system of pain. But I think there should be more compassion and more understanding, more methodical approaches to breaking that link between pain in childhood and violence uh, and negative social um, behaviours in adulthood. You talk about the fact that you're uh, about to, well, you're going to get married. I am, yeah. Yeah, yeah, boy. Do you guys, and this is, feel free not to answer this question if it's something you don't want to answer, but do you think that you will have children? Uh, You know, a few years ago, I didn't. Um, but I think I, and this is fun, funny, given how we started the conversation. I don't like, I feel very uncomfortable being positive about myself, but as I mature and grow, I, I actually think I'd make a pretty good father. I think I'd make a kick-ass father. And, uh, I think I do want to have kids, um, contingent on the book, selling shitloads of copies and having money in the bank. I think I know a lot about what not to do. I've got a PhD in what not to do. (laughs) And I think I've got a lot lot of love. And, you know, I think um, Sophie, my fiance, would make a great um, partner. Um, Yeah, I think think I'd like to have kids for sure. And when I was younger, there was definitely that fear of repeating the cycle, which is very common. But uh, I think now 
I reckon I could do it. And I'd like to have like a, um, you know, a child with Sophie and also to adopt um, some foster kids, grab them out of the system. And also that'd be just great at barbecues. I'd be like, um, oh yeah, you, you have a child. I adopted mine. Yeah, don't worry. I'm not a hero. It's fine. Um, yeah, just adopted. Like Angelina Jolie, she must be so annoying at, at like Hollywood parties. She's like, yeah, six. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Anyway, whatever. Adopted them all. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, different. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, very diverse household. What, oh, you, uh, all of them are yours? Oh, okay. okay. That's easy, well, isn't no, it? That's nice. That's nice for you. That's nice. Just be a real asshole. <laughs> just, yeah, just, yeah. Oh, this isn't for you kids. The kids are all grateful. They're like, thank you, Corey. So great you've brought us here. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. We've got a deal here. I'll look after you fine. But it's mostly for barbecue bragging rights. Yeah, yeah definitely. As long as you guys are like the kids from Sound and Music when the yeah. friends are over at the barbecue, <laughs> learn your song, go and learn your song, and I'm going to show you off. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm pleased to hear that because yeah. it that says as much about where you're at, I yeah. think, as anything, is that idea yeah. of the, the fact that you can have gone through everything that you went through in your childhood yeah. and be smart enough to know that so often, you know, the perpetrators of abuse are people who've been abused themselves yes. and these sort of things. Yep. To be in a place where you can actually say, no, I think I I am confident that I can break that sort of cycle is yeah. a real compliment to where you are at at the moment, I think. Yeah, it's it's nice. So technology was the other thing you brought up yes. when we were talking about that and your yeah. fas fascination with technology. So yeah. I'd love to talk to you about this because mm. I am, how old are you? Uh, 31. Yeah. So I, 45, just yep. in that... Um, age group sure. where, so the internet really didn't kind of kick in until I was in my early twenties. So I've lived yeah. in a, I've lived in a world without the internet and within, yeah, you yeah. know, in that sort of transition period, sure. you know, and, and, you know, in that sort of like, you know, all your teenage years, like, you know, you're like, your, the, you're like the last, one of the last people to, um, look at best and less catalogs for very different reasons to price savings. Well, but that is right. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, people are like, oh, you know where you find your pornography on RedTube or <laughs> Pornhub or whatever? We found ours on railway tracks. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the local bush. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's, that's where pornography was that available. Is, that is a grim scene, like, just yeah. a bunch of kids from Warrnambool, like, running along the railroad track just looking for best and less catalogs. Hey, Jimmy, I found the lingerie page. But that was Me it. first, yeah. And then... In this world now where, you know, and I mean, not just pornography, but I mean the absolute overload of yeah. that information. So, yeah. you know, the, the newspaper, we would read the newspaper every yeah. day or you would watch the news at night from yeah. six o'clock to six thirty, Yeah. And yeah. your brain would take in that news. Yeah. But now, you know, there are, you know, multiple news sources yeah. shouting at you every moment from Definitely. all these different things. So. The pornography of information, yeah, if you will. That's a, that's you know? uh, that, that's like the title of your uh, of an upcoming book. I <laughs> yeah, think. by Will Anderson. By Will uh, Anderson. Um, it's basically just your book, but I've changed the cover. <laughs> like, this has nothing to do with information overload. Uh, uh, actually, no, I'm experiencing information overload right now. This is heavy. Um, uh, so, uh, what's your relationship to you know technology and the the role that it plays in our lives? Because you're at a different stage where you've essentially lived in a world where it's never really not been part of your yeah, world. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I, again, I think there's some really tremendously positive aspects to it. I think people um, have an opportunity to be educated. Um, people are able to connect um, in, in many ways for good and bad. You know, you're getting like 
60-year-old grandmothers whose their husband has just died, and then you're also getting ISIS terrorists, but they get to bond over Facebook messages, which is not good. But anyway, um, do it for the grandmas. Let them, let them have that. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think it's also – I'm interested in the political consequences of that because I think that it um, – I think it makes people feel paralyzed because there is so much information that and, – and you're, you're, you're overwhelmed with all of the horror of the world. You know, um, you know, it's in your feed. People share it. It's there. And at some point to protect your own sanity, you have to turn off and go, I'm sorry, people in Rwanda, I don't care about the victims of that earthquake. So people have to become apathetic to well, live in a, that world. That's a changed mind state, right? Yeah. Because in the old days, you just wouldn't hear about it. Yeah. So you weren't making an intellectual or emotional choice sure, sure. to ignore it. Mm, mm. You just didn't see it. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. now the people in Rwanda are still getting the same result. They're yes. being ignored. Yes. But, yeah. but the first one was, I'm ignoring them because I have no information about it, like yep. that it's not being presented mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. This new one is, I know, and now I have to choose to look away. Yes. And I wonder, I mean, I wonder what the unconscious consequences of, of that um, is, or they are for people, like knowing that you're turning away. But also it couldn't be otherwise, you know. I also think that with the internet you know, and clickbait, that whole phenomenon, people are competing for your attention in more and more areas of your private life. Like it's down to like your phone. Like it's people wanting you to to buy things, to, uh, you know, support their opinions on Facebook or Twitter, um, you know, to help their grandmother with a GoFundMe. Um, And I think people have to turn inwards. And I I think maybe people, human beings are becoming more introverted um, and, and, becoming uh, more callous to to the world of information because you, you if you keep yourself feeling things you know you you you'd be driven crazy by all of the the trauma and suffering and pain that is just thrown at you daily on it you know um so yeah it's very interesting the political consequences of of all this technology i mean i think um part of the rise of nationalism in the Western world is down to people looking at what's happening in other countries and being able to read about it and watch YouTube videos and then repeating it in their own countries. You know, um, like they can read about the problems of neoliberalism, read about these nationalist movements that are uh, rising up um, and, and they copy it and they, they talk to each other online about how to crack open, you know, the, the establishment. You know, but it's, it's, we live in very interesting times. What do you hope? Do you have hopes or do you have like you know, thoughts about what the next step, uh, you know, in the relationship between humans and technology might be. Yeah. Because at the moment there's kind of two things that are happening. Yep. There's a bit of a correction, I think. Sure. You know, that we, yeah, essentially we were the kids who never got to, you know, eat sweets when we were growing up. (laughs) And then suddenly we're at uni and we can buy our own food and we've put on 30 kilos in the first two months (laughs) because, you know, all we're eating is junk food. And then after a while you're like, oh, actually my head hurts all the time and I'm sweating constantly. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this all the time. I'm going to get healthy again. And I certainly feel like in my life there's, I've taken the apps, the attention apps off for my phone. Yeah. I put my phone to grayscale, which is black and white. I did that so that it won't, you know, like just kind of trying to retrain my brain a little to not rely on that dopamine sort of hit of information and technology. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, having an understanding that the world will always progress. Yes. Progress got to progress. That's what it does. Right. And there's an internal, momentum to progress that is unstoppable by any individual taking Facebook off their fucking iPhone. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So 
what what do do you hope is the upside of that? Where that takes us to that yeah. next step of technology. It's funny talking about suffering before. I, I, I guess you know the abolition of a lot of illness, um, the uh, the ability of people to um, you know fix the paralyzed, all of this sort of stuff. The the scientific and medical applications of technology. I think that they are great. I want people. I want you know. I want people to like their deafness to be fixed, um, you know, while they're in the womb without having to wear a cochlear implant. I want um, short men to be like uh, stretched out in the womb so they don't they don't turn into incels. <laughs> uh, Corey's got an interesting solution to this incel issue. Is it's no. in in utero stretching? Yeah, <laughs> utero stretching. All right, hey, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a tired, chubby comedian. Um, <laughs> I know that's ridiculous. But hey, look, I'm, a, I'm an ally. I'm a fighter. I'm on your side. Um, uh, uh, can I? Do you have ten more minutes? Fifteen more minutes? Yeah, yeah. You don't have a, a no, no. I'm, yeah, down it. Yeah. I'm just going to quickly have a bathroom break because that's okay. been about an hour, hasn't it? Okay. So we were at uh, we're talking about po- what I hope. Yeah. Are the what, what do you what do you hope are, are the positives of technology? Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the incel stretching. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, number one, incel stretching. That is the first in, order in of euro incel stretching. <laughs> I mean, the, the irony of that is that sure. you're fixing the problem while they're inside a woman, which is yeah. the one thing that <laughs> they're angry about anyway. Zing zing. <laughs> but dun dun. T- 20-minute drum solo for this motherfucker. Will Anderson, ladies and gentlemen. Damn, that's good. Um, he's got it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I guess I mean, it's almost limitless potential. Um, it's, Dude, funny, it's, fun, it's funny because for a man, and I talked about it in this year's show, I talked about how, you know, I have been, you know, so depressed in my life. And yet, um, you know, at times I've been so scared of death, like I'm a massive hypocrite. And now as I've, I've gotten happier, death is now no longer a sweet release. It's something I'm, ap- I'm actively fearful of. So I would hope life extension to the point of immortality. Um, I re- I'm, I'm really pushing for the immortality thing. Okay, so that's really fascinating to me because... Yeah. I've spoke- I don't want to die and I want the scientists. I, I feel like they should stop working on uh, uh, ball sweat pills that stop ball sweat. I looked at that. Uh, Alzheimer's, everything goes. You fix him or you fix the problem of death first and then we'll work backwards. Oh, mate, I don't want to live forever with sweaty balls. <laughs> this is... <laughs> and Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's. My balls are sweaty and I can't even remember why. <laughs> and now I've got to live forever. And then also they're sweating for eternity. Yeah. So they are... Uh, immortality is one of those things. So, you know, it's interesting for me for you to, to say that because... You know, you're somebody who, you know, you, you write about this in the book, you know, were, were attempted to commit suicide. Yeah, yeah. And now the Spoiler idea... Spoiler alert, I failed. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the end of the book. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone who hasn't made it to the end. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they committed suicide. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, sorry. But no, but I've spoken about suicide and, and, sure. and mental health and stuff on this podcast previously. Yeah. And... You know, I've said that there's been times, you know, when, when I've been struggling through things, mm. I never have got to the point where I w- took it into my own hands, yeah. 
But I've certainly been at the point a few times where if I had, like, you know, to use a comical way of expressing sure. this, when, you know, when you're on a plane yeah. and suddenly, like, you know, it, it loses, like, there's an air pocket and yeah. it drops suddenly and yeah. everybody else started screaming and I just was like, oh. What a relief. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, that's good. You know, that's it's nice. gonna yeah. be it's gonna be over. Yep, yep. So not, you know, not running towards the, the front of the plane and trying to take over from the pilot and crash the thing, but yeah. to look at death as being like a a, a relief, you know, a, yeah. a relief from what's going on rather than so the opposite of that is immortality, right? Yes. Yeah. And to me that seems like hell. When you yeah. say that the idea of living forever for me, yeah, like there's a real part of me that's like when will this be over? Yeah. Okay. And so I'm interested in what immortality, the appeal of immortality is for you. Why largely it consists in not dying. Mm. That's the first thing <laughs> I really like about immortality. I mean, uh, immortality I think is great if you are, you know, like all these guys who are working on it, like, you know, the guys yeah. who run Amazon and Google yeah, and yeah. all these things who want to live forever, but yeah. you've got all the money. Of course you want yeah. to live forever. Yeah, of course. But what are you like? But then if you live forever, you can, you can save. <laughs> like even if you're working at McDonald's, you <laughs> right. work there for 800 years, you're like, I've right. got a house. So a combination of immortality and compound interest <laughs> is your plan. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, that's my plan. Um, <laughs> um, you, also, on a more positive note, on a positive note, got a plan to afford a house. Yeah. Uh, immortality and compound interest. It's fine. Yeah, Joe Hockey comes out. He's like, uh, these, look, you should have worked for 100 years. <laughs> Why have you not been working for 100 years? Um, uh, well, also, there's like, you know, the cosmic adventures that you could have, you know, presumably, uh, will achieve like, um, interstellar travel. Um, maybe there are other civilizations in the world, uh, in the universe, um, in the world. I, I, I think there are Chinese, there's a Chinese civilization just <laughs> over some water, but, um, but yeah, like what I want to, I want to explore the world I, and the universe. Like what are the secrets that we are going to uncover? That's kind of cool. Okay. So you are, that is like, if, so for example, yeah, um, Elon Musk comes to you, sure, and he's like, "We're putting together this, you know, sort of, we're off to, you know, explore the world, explore sure. the universe." Mm -hmm. Read your book, yeah, <laughs> really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks, Elon. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Uh, would you like to be part of it? Is that the sort of thing that you would be excited? Has about? he given me immortality, or is he promising to give me immortality? I mean, let's just say it's part of it. Let's just say that part well, of Hang this... on, hang on. What else is in the contract, Will? Is there some weird Satanist? Oh, apparently now you, you're going to read the terms conditions, are you? <laughs> I'm am. promising you With space Elon. exploration and immortality. This and is... you're like, oh, you want to see the fine print, do you now? <laughs> this is how cautionary German fairy tales begin. <laughs> a, man a man with a strange accent comes out and promises you everything you ever want. I believe there's a little book called Faust about that. But... um. Yeah, well, yeah, I'd probably jump in. Yeah, feet first. I'd be like, hell yeah, thank you, Elon. And then he'd drive off, drive off in his Tesla. Is there, what is the appeal of that, though? Is it just curiosity or is there a, a bigger appeal to the idea of exploring the universe? Because, you know, I mean, the, the, idea, the, the earth itself is infinite, you know, in, in regard to our comprehension and our mm -hmm. capacity to explore it. Mm -hmm. Like, if you really wanted to explore, the universe sure. in that sense mm -hmm. you could explore the oceans, you know, that are as complex and as, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. lack of understanding, you know, is, is, is infinite to our tiny brains yeah. as exploring the universe. Sure. Uh, well, 
yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not just exploring the universe literally, um, but it's, it's, you know, finding out, you know, whether there's a, a Higgs boson particle that carries mass and, and, um, you know, what is the deal with, uh, um, you know, alien civilizations in the universe? Are they there? Like, I'd like to just at least wait on earth for a million years to see if we hear anything or get invaded. Um, I just, I guess it's just being able to read all the books in the world. Like one of the things that always bothers me is, you know, I go into a bookstore and I'm like, I could not read all these books if I spent the rest of my life reading. And that bothers me on some level. It makes me sad. So I guess with immortality, you know, you get to curl up on a Chesterfield wing chair and uh, have a glass of whiskey and, and read everything that's ever been written. That would be cool. You get to listen to all the Willosophy podcasts, right? You get to catch up on that. Um, you know, you get to watch all the Grand Design seasons, right? Just You get to, what are you doing you get to have all the information. Yes. Catching up on podcasts, <laughs> reading some books. Have you seen Grand Designs? Good show, mate. Good show. That'll get you, you know, through three or four years of your immortality. <laughs> just grand designs. Just grand designs. But you know, do you, like, do you not feel that? Do you not want to, do you feel like, it's like, do you not, maybe this is because Gen X, but do you not feel like FOMO? Like there's all of this potential wonder and mystery and miracles out there that human beings have made or human beings haven't made and you're missing out on it because you don't have enough time. I don't think that I feel a fear of missing out on it. No, I, I do. Yeah, I understand what you mean. And the books I think is a, a great analogy to use because for, for me, even in my own office, yeah, I often look at the pile of books that are next to my desk and I think, okay, if I read two of those a week, it's still going to take me two years to get through all the books I have in my office. Yeah. Yeah. And yet every time I walk past the bookstore at the airport, I will go and add another book exactly. to my pile, yeah, regardless yeah. of the fact that I've taken none away from the original pile. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. There is another potential me, sure, immortal me, yeah. who thinks they have the time to read all those books. So yeah. I have an understanding of that. But no, I don't have a fear of, of missing out on it because I don't think that, I think that when, when I die, I won't care because mm. I'll be done, you know, it'll, sure. it'll, it'll be over. But um, <clears throat> I am interested in, uh, alien life yeah. and the idea that of course you, know, you are as a man who <laughs> loves Bob Marley. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think after you've talked about like smoking ice and yeah. with ecstasy, we can. I think <laughs> I think people are aware that I smoke weed. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's a <laughs> really secret. I appreciate your respect. Okay. A man who likes <laughs> Bob Marley. I am much more offended by the fact that people might think that I'm a fan of the music of Bob Marley than I am a recreational okay. stoner, Corey. So. <laughs> Anyway, that was people are bu- suddenly buying me Bob Marley, you know, yeah. uh, posters rash, and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, this is inappropriate. This, this is culturally inappropriate. So rude. I just wanted some weed, man. <laughs> I hate reggae music. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm fascinated by the idea of, you know, that we are not alone in the universe. Yeah. And as somebody who believes, I guess, as much as I believe in anything, yeah. that in the fact that, you know, it is unlikely that we just happened in the corner of the universe and there is nothing else, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of that, you know, is a, a life that we are just that, that accident yeah. all alone, mm-hmm. the only ones. It does seem unlikely. Yeah. Well, it's like that Fermi paradox, right? You know, the Fermi paradox? No. Um, it's like a paradox in cosmology, uh, which asks the question, you know, given that there are trillions of galaxies, trillions of planets, many of which could support carbon-based life. 
why don't we see evidence? Like, why, you know, there's the statistically, we should see evidence. Why don't we do it? And some people say it's because civilizations get to a certain level and they just destroy themselves. They elect perhaps a Trump mm-hmm. or climate change, you know, ruins their um, uh, biosphere, you know. Um, so that's one potential yeah. thing. But, I would have liked if you had a couple of examples that weren't so relevant. Yeah. Yeah, felt a bit more futuristic. Yeah. They, uh, the, you know, way down the track. Yeah, yeah. Gonna... They, uh, they build a quark generator and it sucks everyone's assholes out of their, there you go. So, uh, out of their bodies, and yeah. they all die simultaneously. There we go. A quark disembowelment. Much better. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've, I've triggered you. Made you made it I'm a so bit sorry. too real. Yeah, yeah. It's meant to be a safe space, guy. <laughs> You've triggered me. Anyway, we'll go with the quark disembowelment. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a potential answer. Like, why don't we see it? And I, I agree with you. They've got to be out there. Um, there's actually a really great series of sci-fi books um, by a great Chinese writer, um, uh, Li Sishin, and um, it's called the Dark Forest Trilogy. And he has an explanation for the Fermi paradox. He says that <clears throat> um, he has this, it's called the Dark Forest Theory. And he says that in this massive universe, you want to try and hide because you don't want to give away any signs that there's a civilization on your planet because you don't know that the civilizations out there are peaceful, right? So rather than, you know, and we fucked it. We fucked it with SETI. Mm. We fucked it by, yeah, here's the man and woman and the Beatles. You fucked it, 60s humans. But, um, you know, if you don't know if they, they would destroy you, right? And so you have to stay hidden. And so the universe, he argues, could be filled with all of these civilizations creeping around, like trying to not alert anyone to their existence, right? Because, of course, if you find a civilization, you know, they might be peaceful, yet you might have to, you might have to eliminate them because in the future they could eliminate you. So that's a really positive um, aspect of, of, of a potential solution for the Fermi paradox? Well, I, you know, the idea that we're hiding from each other so we don't have to destroy each other yeah. is better than the open invitation to destroy us we've sent out to the universe <laughs> as yeah. humans. So. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, what, uh, in a universal sense, like yeah. when you like think about the universe, mm-hmm. what does that make you think about our role and our, our place in the universe? Um. Well, I think, well, it depends. I mean, from a, a, a religious perspective, we are, we're probably the only things that God made um, and we have cosmic significance. But from the atheist sense, which I believe in, um, we are, yeah, we're, we're specks. But there's something really cool about that. We're the only part of the universe that we know of that is aware of itself. You know, there's that great line from Alan Watts, we are the universe becoming aware of itself. You know, we are the universe becoming aware of itself and becoming a PE teacher and teaching people the nut bush, right? Like we're the only part of the, the universe of, of matter in the universe that can love and hate and, and be tender and be brutal. And there's something poetic about that. Um, so I think we're, if you put aside, you know, the question of death, we're, we're kind of important, I think, maybe. But of course, in the back of your head, you're like, we don't matter. So I, I look, I've got a bit of a tension there between the fact that we're special and lovely and, you know, we're just p- bits of meat. I haven't resolved <laughs> that problem, but it's, it's Well, I mean, I th- isn't that the, the, the essential sort of, I don't know, dichotomy or, you yeah. know, at the heart of it all, which yeah. is, and the question that, you know, this podcast is really about at the end of the day is the idea that if I were to describe what I believe yeah it, it is such a 
contradiction of things yeah. in that I subscribe to the idea that science is probably right. Yeah. There probably is no sort of, you know, capital G God, sure, sure. you know, of any kind, yeah. you know, that, that none of the, you know, stories are, you know, some sort of accurate, this is, this is what happened and everything else is wrong, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. We're probably an accident in the corner of the universe. Yeah. We're certainly not the center of the universe, all these sort of things. Mm -hmm. And then I get to this point where I'm like, but if that's true, then why is it this? Yeah. Like if that's true, why is it the PE teacher? Like if we're just an accident in the corner of the universe, why is a PE teacher teaching kids the nut bush? You know what I mean? Like why is, yeah, there are foster care system where people are being abused, but also why is you know, why is there childish Gambino or yeah. whatever? Like, you know, why do all these things? Yeah. Because so many of them don't seem to have any sort of strict evolutionary reason yeah. to exist. Or we can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. Or why are they? This and is... uh, why uh, do we want to have these conversations? Yeah. And why is this our, our day to day? Is it just an accident of evolution? That we, yeah. You know, an ape developed uh, the beginnings of rudimentary self-awareness and it sort of leveled up. I mean, you, you can't help but have this kind of feeling of that it's numinous, that it's mysterious, that it's special. Um, it's unexplainable nature makes it feel special. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, it's a curse and it's a blessing. And it, you know, helps you get through life, I think. <laughs> You're like, yeah, this means something. And maybe that's something uh, that got me through as a, as a child and as a younger man, that oh, this has meaning. And perhaps it's just dumb so a dumb trick of evolution, but I'm like, no, this means something. Or if it doesn't mean something in the future, it will mean something. It will come to possess significance. When you wrote the book, did you, um, did you have an aim or aspiration for what you wanted it to be? Um, yeah. And it's not that. And I'm glad that it's not that I had an idea of making it much more jokey. I'd read a few, um, memoirs from comedians and stuff like that. And what sort of things were you like, had you read? Uh, Oh, well, I'm critic. I don't want to name. Well, yeah, but I don't want to. Okay. Yeah, I don't want to. Right. Yeah. No, but no, I read, okay. you know, various yeah, sure. things. And, um, you know, I was like, I think I, I, I want it to mean it would feel inauthentic if I wrote like that. And it's also nat- not uh, natural to me to write like that. Um, and also I'm, I probably couldn't do it even if I tried. Uh, but I wanted to, I mean, I really wanted to record the truth. Um and I wanted it to be a mixture of things, sort of like, you know, my stand up um, at times. I wanted it to be beautiful. I wanted it to be um, honest and raw. I wanted it to be funny. Um, and I, you know, I wanted to testify to the truth of what had happened in my life and to share that. Um, and I think the book is what I wanted it to be. I mean, anytime you make anything, you would know, even with a stand up show, you, you have this idea at the outset, and it, it's never what you thought it was at the beginning. Um, and you're always, there are things that bother you about it. But mostly you're happy with it. And that's all you can ask for because I don't think we can attain perfection in, in art and, and in creativity and, and in showbiz. Like you just have to accept the imperfect nature of things. Um, so the book, uh, I think the book's okay. <laughs> I think it's okay. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> real, we've had 70 minutes and nope, still just okay. Yeah, just come okay. back to okay. We've... We've talked about the universe, immortality, the struggles of life, and we've started with the book being okay, and we've come back to the book being okay. Yeah, and I feel like that means something. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll find the okay sign is a circle, and we've yeah. gone a full circle. Um, uh, what about when it comes to your live performing? What's your 
what are you trying to achieve at the moment? You know, what is your philosophy when it comes to stand up? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, when I first started, um, I, you know, I, I talk about in the memoir, I, I loved Bill Hicks. And, you know, I remember watching you and, you know, that political strident sort of stuff that you were doing um, earlier in your career, um, especially around like gay marriage. and Because mm, I love Bill Hicks. Yeah. Well, well, no, but like that, you know, that sort of class no, of comedy. I know. Yeah. And, um, and that, you know, I, that I wanted to change people's minds. And I think that's the arrogance of a young man, mm-hmm. right? Um, and as I've gotten older, more apathetic and happier, I'm really enjoying making people laugh and just sharing. And I know it's, it sounds kind of naff and daffy, but I enjoy just getting up on stage. And, and you know, there are times when you fucking kill it, like oh, bombing. Like when you saw me that night, I felt like I bombed terribly. Um, but, um, but yeah, like I, I just enjoy on most nights on the best of nights, you just enjoy making people laugh. And I, I just, I want to do that in stand up. And, and I also, I'm really glad this book represents kind of the end of a certain set of material. Like I'm not going to revisit this. It's over. And now I get to talk about, um, marrying Sophie and having kids and more mundane quotidian things. And I'm really excited about that. Like to become the comedian that talks about airline food and odd socks. Like I want to do that now. I mean, it'd be great to like for an audience that discovers you maybe say through the book. Yeah. Yeah. And then they kind of explore your back catalog and they're like, oh, this is, this is exactly what I'm into. (laughs) Horrible tales of sex abuse from the foster care system. And then they come along and you're like, so airline food is terrible, guys. (laughs) It really is though. And I actually feel passionate about it. It's great. Like I'm starting to get real riled up about Qantas's um, sandwich size, but (laughs) I'm genuine when I say that. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I want to like the book has occupied like a lot of my time, uh, in the last few years. So I'm really looking forward to just returning to, uh, stand up next year and just making a funny show. And of course, you know, there'll always be that Corey White nature about it. I think I'm interested in the morbid and the cynical, but I can feel joy growing inside myself. And I, I enjoy sharing that joy and, and connecting with people over the, the most everyday mundane things yeah you like to think that that is a, a maturity as well like i hope because I, I i certainly look back i was having this conversation with uh, gatesy from tripod the other yeah, night yeah, and yeah. we were talking about you know how how wonderfully confident and strident and you know certain you are about how the world yeah. should operate when you're young yeah and how as a performer there is actually something incredibly powerful definitely yeah. about not really having doubts like, yes. I mean, at least in what you're saying on stage, you might have a myriad of doubts, you know, in your real life, Yeah, but yeah. the way that your material is being presented mm-hmm. is almost without doubt. Yes. Yeah. It very and that much... protects you from the terror of what you're doing. Yes. I think in some sense. Yes. And yeah. as you get older and you see things in various you know, shades of gray mm. and things aren't as black and white and aren't as simple, Yeah. you hope that that is a sign that you're maturing and that you're doing something that is more complex. But the worry is that you lost that sort of pizzazz. Yeah. That passion and that yeah. pizzazz and that sort of, yeah, fiery kind of intoxicating intensity of the strength of, you know, conviction. conviction. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, in some, in some ways I do feel like a husk, but I feel like my audience is filled with husks. Let's do some husk comedy, baby. Hashtag husk comedy. Hashtag. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, you lose, yeah, you do lose it. Um, but 
I don't know, like Greg Sullivan's a great comic. Um, he said, he sort of spoke about the spiritual aspects of stand up, not to get too hippy dippy, but he said that it's well, a. He's got hippy dippy. I yeah. like it a little hippy dippy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but I'm a big fan of Bob Marley. Hey. Wink. <laughs> wink, wink, he says, lighting up a jazz cigarette. Um, the plumes rising in the indigo night. Um, no. <laughs> um, no, we're actually in a corporate office, a corporate podcasting booth. That's why the fire alarm went off early. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, well, hang on, what was I talking about? Oh, um, yeah, uh, Greg, Greg Solomon, really funny comedian. and um, Brilliant comedian. Yeah, brilliant. Um, but he spoke of stand-up as a, sort of a spiritual um, journey of... Uh, the transformation of the ego. He said that, you know, when you start and I agree with him, it is very egotistical. Um, yeah. You want people to like you and love you and you want to be praised. Um, and then as you get older, it does start to become less about you and more about the audience. Um, and if in a way, um, yeah, you, you just feel connected, like, especially in the, in the selection of your material. Like when you, um, talk about things that you are passionate about and the laughs that you get from people, you know that they're laughs of recognition and connection. And that's kind of really cool. Um, and you don't want to bang on too much about it and, and make it some noble thing, but that's a really rewarding part of stand up. And, and it's not something you, it's not a state of mind or place where you can reach consciously, but when you're there in that zone and you know, you see this sort of liver spotted old man, or like, you know, uh, you know, a woman with her hair in a bun laughing in a certain way when you talk about, you know, some mistake you've made or your hemorrhoids or whatever, you know, the anal itchiness, which affects you regularly now, which has caused you to quit spicy food. You know, you know, the normal premises that other comedians do. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, brutal hemorrhoids, brutal, um, absolutely brutal. But when you have that, that that's the next book, <laughs> yeah, hemorrhoids. <laughs> Um, ellipse, dot, 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 absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> um, the long awaited follow up. The long awaited follow up. Jesus Christ. This is not a meditation on human beings. Uh, this is all of, this is like a 190 pages of uh, information related to anal tissue. <laughs> this is. Oh. It marks a horrible descent in grace from the young Corey White. Um, no, but, uh, yeah, uh, not to bang on too much about it, but that sense of communion, um, that I, I find creeps into stand up as you get older is, is really cool. So I think that that's a good example of, uh, and I just wanted to go to something that you mentioned because mm. it's, it's as much a reminder to myself as anything else is yeah. that, you know, those moments when you're on stage, you know, you mentioned the word bombing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. often when we talk about bombing, what yeah. we're really talking about is a lack of that connection. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. actually about the fact that you in some way are doing your job that you are, there's any kind of connection you between you and before. ISIS. There's no, yeah. No, but I, but I mean, as in, it's not like you've come in and you're, you're doing a 25% worse job than you had the night before or yeah. anything like that. No, no. In fact... So the night that I saw you during the festival, yeah, 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 and you like you have, you know, I have a sense that that wasn't, you, you know, what that was, yeah. It, there were some people in that audience that night, yeah, who were not connected with you. Sure, that's what it was. Yeah, I was absolutely in sync with what you were doing, and often, to be honest, 
the rea- the reaction of the woman next to me who was in no way in sync with what you were doing yeah, was yeah. almost making me enjoy the show more <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. I was like like getting to enjoy a what you were doing yeah and, you're and enjoying... then also enjoy her <laughs> lack of understanding yeah. of what it was that you were doing yeah but the thing is I was looking at her in a yeah. very different way that yeah. you were looking at her <laughs> right because um, yeah the negatives pop out right uh, yeah, we do talk about the bombing, and uh, it is really that's a that's a very good way of putting it. It is knowing that you haven't made that connection. It's 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 not even a thing on its own. It's a lack of a thing, really. Mm. Um, and I also find I don't know as you get older, and it becomes, you know, you, you have fans and people who who spend you know money. Um, I feel like there's a, a responsibility to like give them a great night out. You know, like they've you know given the kids to a babysitter. They've spent you know however much money to come and see you. And I haven't given that 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 great night, and I feel a guilt about that. And I think that we, and this is what I like about sitting in an audience because it reminds me, is yeah. that we treat audiences as if the response we're hearing from everyone is indicative of how everybody is feeling. Yeah, and yeah. it's never that. Like even no. on a night when you're killing, there's yeah. someone in the audience going, "This is shit. I don't like it. I don't get it. What's he talking about?" <laughs> yeah. I came for the foster care stuff, and he's talking about airplane food. Yeah, I yeah. Have no interest in his sandwich size. Yeah. Why has there been 45 minutes on hemorrhoids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and vice versa. Sure. You know, like on a night when you you walk off stage and go, there's still people who were sitting there. Like I could not have enjoyed your show was as enjoyable as any show that I saw during the festival. Oh, I had a great time, and I yeah. there was not a moment that I wasn't in it and enjoying it and, yeah. and loving it. And there were, you know, plenty of people in the room that night who were feeling the exact same way. But yeah. there was just those couple of people who'd, who'd wandered into the wrong show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was, they yeah. looked at the Melbourne town hall sandwich yeah. and they're like, Corey, what well, he A couple like of those it. people who were in the restaurant going, I don't like this food. And it wasn't because the food was bad. It was because it turns out they didn't like spicy food and they shouldn't have, shouldn't have gone to a restaurant that served. <laughs> There's a bit yeah. of spicy food. Yeah. A little bit yeah. of a spicy meatball. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, all right. Well, we have to finish up soon, but yeah. I have some standard questions that I ask everybody. Sure. We've yeah. covered some of them already. Okay. Because some of the big ones are what happens when we die. We've already done that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what effect it has on the rest of your life, you know, whether you're religious. So we've kind of covered off some of those ones already. Uh, you've talked about, you know, the idea of immortality, yeah. which I guess goes to that idea of, you know, now you... Yeah, you know, fearing death rather than wanting to embrace death. Yeah. So this this is normally like what I save till the end. Yeah. You, you just jumped in. I it jumped was fun. right in, baby. It was good. So it means that I can just ask some of the other ones, which is this. Um, what do you think is your greatest strength? Um, we can edit this silence, hopefully. Um, I guess... You know, you don't want to toot your own horn. I, I think a belief in the power of empathy. Um, empathy, not even just for its own sake, but as a way to understand that um, judgment, uh, while perhaps necessary at some point, uh, it blocks you off from knowing the world as much as you might. I think that empathy, um, you know, my first stand up show was about it. Um, trying to understand. You know, like I think about my father's domestic violence and my mother's um, neglect and, and abuse of, of, of her children. And, you know, people often say, uh, and also like a particular foster carer that I write about in the book, Tracy, um, people go, oh, you know, it's disgusting. You know, they're disgusting. They're evil or whatever. And I always say, I don't think they're evil. I think what they did was evil. Um, uh, you know, but they themselves were human beings. Um, and, you know, 
what they did was terrible. But I think that just condemnation and judgment in my life doesn't really provide any sort of sustenance or answer. What are we just to say that was bad and move on? I think empathy, like trying to see it from other people's perspective, especially if those people have done terrible things, um, can yield more answers and, and make sense of it um, more effectively for you, I think. Um, you know, and certainly thinking about my father a lot has like put me onto whole worlds of information about trauma, about mental illness, about, you know, uh, you know, misogyny, about, um, free will. Um, you know, it's led to a lot of books. It's led to a lot of great conversations with people. It's led to, you know, friendships. It's led to money, um, you know, being paid to speak about these things at times, um, yeah, I think there's something uh, really rewarding about empathy and it. I think our natural instinct and my natural instinct still is to judge and to condemn and sit in judgment of uh, people and things. But I think there's always something to be said for, you know, being the devil's empath, you know? Mm. Love it. Good answer. Mm. Uh, weakness. What? What's What's your greatest weakness? Yeah, um... Well, that I have complex PTSD, that I um, have a stress disorder from my childhood. Um, you know, it, it it does periodically debilitate me and, and disable me. There are times when I can't function. Um, and the periods of the, the, my inactivity have lessened. As the years have gone on, I've learned to accept them and manage them. But uh, yeah, there are times when I'm knocked out. I'm uh, depressed. I can barely talk. Uh, I just lie in bed for days at a time, and um, that is my greatest weakness. But I think that, you know, to go back to the first point about what my greatest strength is, I think that in trying to understand and even empathize with the weak, fragile parts of yourself, there's there's a lot to be learned and gleaned from that. Um, and I've tried, I don't know, weakness is a bad word, or it's a word that has connotations which I don't think are helpful, because um, we think of weakness as as inherently negative. Yeah. Yeah. It, it has a sense of pejorative about the actual term itself. Yes. Um, certainly like in terms of, uh, reality, there are things that you, that are flawed or, or, uh, not effective, um, or, 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 or not beautiful or things like this. <clears throat> but I think that we can, um, I think there can be something nourishing about, uh, coming to grips and coming to terms with those things. Um, there's a, uh, and I think it's sort of like it mirrors our society's absolute opposition to suffering. You know, we, suffering is irredeemably horrible and weakness is irredeemably horrible. Um, but as, I've, as I sort of try to accept suffering and try to accept weakness, there's a lot of lessons to be gleaned from it. And, and I mean, you can't get around weakness. Uh, you can't deny it. You have to, you have to accept it. I mean, you just don't have a choice. Um, there's a, I was just thinking of um, at the, you know, the, in, the um, introductory quote to my book, that every author puts on like a wanker, um, like before the book starts, is uh, if, if I can just read it. Um, it's a quote from Franz Kafka, um, my favorite writer, in his book, The Zurao Aphorisms. And it says, Leopards break into the temple and drink all the sacrificial vessels dry. It keeps happening. In the end, it can be calculated in advance and is incorporated into the ritual. And for me, that's always spoken to complex PTSD, the way that... Um, the leopards are going to come and drink all the sacrificial vessels dry. You are going to be hit by weakness. You're going to be leveled. You're going to be, you're going to have your kneecaps taken out. 
but you have to learn to to accept that they're going to come and everything's going to be lost and you're going to be plunged into depression or sickness or ill health. And the more you accept them, the more beautiful they become uh, and, and the more that they enlarge you as a human being. Is there a skill that, um, and I think that's fantastic by the way, because I think that one of the things that, you know, we, we find hard in society is like, you know, often extending the empathy that we have for other people. If mm. we get to that point, extending it then, back onto ourselves. So, yeah, definitely. Which, yeah. you know, like you know, when you talk about empathy, I'm so glad that you mentioned the idea of self-empathy. Yeah. Well. I mean, that was something you know. that um, certainly I didn't attain uh, and I'm still struggling with it. You know, my book's okay. I don't like talking about these things, um, but it's a process. And uh, yeah, for the longest time, I was very good at trying to understand others. Um, and I think that in, in fact came perhaps from my childhood in foster care, from being abused and neglected. You're always trying to work out why are they doing that? What can I do to make them stop hitting me or make them stop uh, starving me or whatever? Um, and it was a long time until I thought that I had enough value to be empathized with in a real sense, like existentially, not just intellectually, you know, to really feel like, you know, uh, self-love, self-care. If there was one skill set or, you know, uh, yeah, skill set is as good a word as any, uh, that you wish you had, mm -hmm. you know, it can, yeah. be, it can be anything. What mm. would it be? Uh, these are very good questions, Will Anderson. <laughs> these are very good. Are um, they good questions or are you saying they're good questions in the way that uh, people do to fill in time while they think of an answer to uh, a question? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. He uh, says filling in time as he answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, laugh, also filling more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, uh, oh. it sounds dumb. I'd love to speak French. Mate, I, just, I, I think language is so often the one that I, I go to if I ask myself the same question. Yeah, yeah. The, the capacity to speak another language is very high on my list. Yeah, and I also just want to, uh, I don't know, I have some absurd dream of living in the south of France. Yeah, living in the south of France. And, uh, you know, having, you know, kids there and um, just being able to, like, walk down the street and, like, order some cheese and <laughs> wine. People uh, people who me. know me well or who have exhaustively listened to yep. you know, all the things that I make yep. will have picked up a theme that I have several escape plans. Yeah, like, yeah. So in my head, I always have this, like, when it all falls to shit for whatever reason, it all yeah. falls to shit. Sure. What's my escape plan? Like, yeah. what's my, you know, what's my other life that I'm going to go and live? Okay. And South of France is... One of them? Bit, what, big one of them. Go and live in some sort of obscure village. Yeah. I need to know a little bit of French, but I don't want to know too much. Yeah, I, don't, I don't really want to get to know anyone for a few years. Okay. You know, yeah. Well. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to socially isolate myself by the fact that I can't communicate that well with other people I, as well. Yeah. I have a similar kind of, yeah, I, I can empathize with that a lot. And I mean, you, you are in the public light so much. And so much of your life has been. So there must be a desire in you for, for peace and solitude uh, like deep down. Anonymity is my yeah. greatest desire. Yeah, which is something that I've, you know, I guess, is that being bothered in public, like being autographs and people talking to you? Does that drive funny, the desire it? for anonymity? It's, which is kind of why I didn't, you know, you're a big dog. It's like I don't even talk to big dogs because I know that so many other people are talking to them. Do you know? And you're bothering them. Do you know what I mean? I... I am like something you said before, which I loved, which yeah. was the idea that, you know, and I, I'm very much just going to uh, paraphrase now, yeah. but that the reason 
what you are at the start of doing something doesn't need to be the what you are when you keep doing it. Yeah, you know, like that. What I got out of stand up when I first started, sure, sure, can end up being completely different to what you get out of it now. Right? Yeah, yep. Like I, I loved the attention and stuff yeah. when I first started doing it. Yeah, and now it's the thing that I hate the most about the job that yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. the same person doing the same job, mm -hmm. and yet the thing that I love the most about it at the start, yeah, is the thing that I now, yeah. And for a myriad of reasons. Sure, sure. Like, is some of it the people knowing, you know, my business or wanting to, yes, but that's not. It's sure. so much more complex and, and yeah. big and all those sort of things. Is it, that. is it, oh, can I ask? Or is, this, yeah. is it, I feel like, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, when I encounter people who liked my stuff, there is a, often a kind of uh, a whole mechanical superficiality to your interactions with people. You know, you feel like when someone comes up to you as a fan of your work, um, often, often they're saying the exact same things and there's the same exact same rhythms and cadences in that conversation and that interaction that you've had with every other person who's come up. And you feel like an object, some, something of an object, not a human being. You, you're like a, a figure. And I guess celebrities feel like that, you know, that, yeah. And I think you you become a version of you know, whatever they expect you, you yes, are. Yeah. And then you, you spend a lot of your life not feeling fully formed perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think there's, it's a more complex area that we could talk about. Oh yes. yes. But I, <clears throat> South oh, of I, France is good. Yeah. South of France. Uh, that's good. All right. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Speak another language. Yeah, Fr yeah. French. I want, I want to speak French and I just, I just, uh, I guess the pretentious part of me that, wishes I wasn't born in Queensland. Um, and <laughs> I just wish I'd now look, l listen to this, listen to this. People always yeah. laugh whenever I say it pool. Do you want to go for a swim in the pool? <laughs> it, the, the, it, you know, it, the water's really cool and everyone laughs <laughs> because people, I can't not say pool and cool. I, I wish I was born in Adelaide and I said dance and pool and cool. And people love pool and cool. Oh, it's funny, isn't it? The Queensland accent, the Strine accent. <laughs> Anyway, I'm hoping the French would get. I just, I yeah. just, I want to get a little bit of French, um, yeah, a little accent of beauty, exactly, of, a little sophistication, yeah, instead of yeah, fucking yeah, <laughs> that's in it. Uh, and uh, so, um, okay, so uh, what skill would you like to have from other people? I've asked you that. Oh, okay, this is the big one, mm -hmm. and then we'll finish up. Um, thank you so much for doing this. By oh, the way, thank you so much. It's for been a great me. pleasure um, to talk to you, and I'm. I've I've enjoyed this because it's gone everywhere, and yeah. I like I like the ones where they sort of what yeah. go everywhere. And yeah, I I I, uh, I think I started off very nervously because you know I, I but because there was a fire alarm going off for the first ten minutes. That too, it uh, didn't help. There was a flat. We were like, <laughs> it'll be fine because we've got our headphones on. We're yeah. like, you know, we don't have to leave the building. Yeah. But then I realized we literally started doing the podcast, and there was lights flashing in the corner <laughs> of the studio. You could hear the <laughs> siren from outside the studio, oh, and terrible. we're both trying to create an intimate atmosphere to have like a yeah. a fun conversation and it's like we were battling against the elements a little bit a little start, bit but, but also i just uh yeah it was uh it was really nice to be talking to you and i i felt a lot of pressure well i i think that it's been really great and i hope people have really enjoyed it and i hope people read your book it's called the prettiest horse in the glue factory mm -hmm. yep. and um you can i i wanted to try to it's it's funny it's actually it, in some ways it's been a difficult conversation for me mm. as well in that not, uh, once we had it, mm -hmm. but in that I really did not want to talk about 
what's in the book. Sure. Because yeah. like you've written a book. Yeah, yeah. That, what's the point of coming on here and then telling all the stories from the book and then nobody's going to sure, read sure. the book? Yeah. But also I think that the book is written in such a way that even just trying to go, let's take this story out or take this story out yeah. won't give people a sense of what the stories were anyway. There's something about reading it all, yeah. the way that you've put it together, in the tone that you've put it together, mm-hmm. and that you know, it's very much often what happens if I said, oh, tell me about the time you did this, even with the ecstasy. Yeah. Like, you, but we haven't seen the, you know, the, the time, everything that led up to that moment. I couldn't that agree. That has the emotional more. payoff of that moment. Yeah, there's juxtaposition. There's the rhythm, there's the structure, there's the specific words you use, the language, you know, all of that matters. So Um, it's hard to rip it from that context. So I wanted to have a conversation with you Mm. without talking about that. And And I really appreciate it, yeah. And yet there's so much of that that, you know, we've had to sort of dance around. So it just means that we've had a non-linear conversation. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, To me, that's been fun. And it's been, you know, you've just had so many fascinating things to say about so many different things. I... I ask this question all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I've got one more and then I'll ask the sure, big one sure. that I ask all yeah. the time. But uh, do you think there's a misconception yeah. about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know if there is. Um, I think that, I think I have a chip on my shoulder about uh, being defined by a, a set of material and people viewing me as a, a victim. Um, and, you know... So that's, I guess, a reason why I appreciate not ripping things out of context too much. Um, Because, you know, especially the stuff that happens in the book, I feel like this is the most, this is the best context for the things that people know about me and perhaps think um, I am. That There's so much stuff around that. There's beauty, uh, there's humour, there's um, anger, there's frustration, there's irritability. all of this stuff exists around it, and I feel like people have. Um, and I don't know if I imagine it. I feel like I don't imagine it, but I do feel like people um, think that I am only this sad figure, or that I'm a, a hero. I'm neither. I'm a coward, and <laughs> I'm also capable of being funny. You know, um, without you know, reference to sad things. I, in the book in particular, I really enjoyed the boarding school section where I talk about, uh, you know, one, uh, one of my boarding school mates having a foot fetish and being caught out about it. I like, you know, my humor isn't just dark and it isn't just existential or whatever. It's also just silly and crass and, um, you know, every day. Yeah. Uh, what would you hope that people say about you behind your back? Like, you know, in an ideal way. If... What a great back he has. Beautiful back. <laughs> oh, he's been doing lat raises at the gym. Great posture. <laughs> and a podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, this is the, the big question I ask at the end. Sure. Um, uh, so time, it's the time machine question. Sure. Yep. So you have a time machine. Mm-hmm. You've got one shot at it. Yep. Um, you get to either go back and change a moment of your life. Sure. Um, you could go back and observe mm-hmm. a moment of your life. Yeah. Uh, or um, you can ignore your own life and yeah. just use the time machine to, you know, visit a moment in history. I don't know, kill baby Hitler or whatever you want to do. But yeah. But you, so you, know, you, yeah. you have one shot at it. Yeah. 
Uh, God, that's a really good question. Um, and, I took... and also, you have the option of not taking the trip. Yeah, that's yeah. The... So oh, I guess there's... Well, that's interesting. That's your, that's your four options. You can go back to a moment in your life, observe it. Sure. Go back to a moment in your life, change it. Okay. Go back to a moment in history yep. and observe slash change it. Mm-hmm. Or... Completely waste. The completely waste the opportunity and not take the trip. <laughs> can you? Can I sell the opportunity on eBay? <laughs> I mean, okay. There's Working a fifth up. option. Okay, all right, all right, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, it's like when people are like, "Yeah, what are your top five albums?" They're like, "That's really complicated." It's like, "Fucking just answer the just, question." Yeah. Um, you butthead. Um, uh, uh, that's a very good question, and I feel like I want to give the best answer, but I'm going to have to go with something that's probably not the best answer. And the best answer will occur to me later. Uh, if only you had a time machine then to come back to this moment. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, I'm going to say this just because I think it'd be interesting and, and be funny. Um, can I come back after it? Yeah. Can I record what's happening? It's and, a... Ooh. No one's ever asked that before, but yeah. it's okay, a, it's a, it's not a one way trip. Sure. No, it's a, like, it's a return trip. Okay. It's a return trip. Uh, yeah. No, you get to come back. Sure. Uh, you get to see the, if, if you've changed history in any way, you get to see the consequences of, you know, the changes that you've made either yeah. to your own life this or to great. somebody else's life. Yeah. Can you record it? Um, yes. Yeah. No, I think you probably can. Okay. But there might be limits on where you can post it. Sure. Like we might have some sort of like, you know, cause we're not offering, we don't want everyone to know that we've got this time machine sure, that's available, sure. right? Um, I would go back and I'd go back and kill Winston Churchill. And so the Nazis would... No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> That's how you know when someone's a Nazi. They're like, what do we do to the time machine? Kill Hitler? No, yeah, Churchill. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I'd raise Hitler yeah. and kill Churchill. What yeah. are you talking about? Um, you know what? I, I think it'd be great to uh, go back and stop Harold Holt from jumping in that water. <laughs> <laughs> right? It'd be fantastic. You'd be like, just hold his head. No, Harold. <laughs> no, Harry. 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 <laughs> I'm from the, Corey. I'm from it's the future. Corey. He's like, what? What? Uh, in the future, there's so many jokes about yeah. you. Comedians, every comedian has a joke about you. They build an awful pool dedicated yeah. to you in Glen Iris in Melbourne. It's a brutalist monstrosity. <laughs> Just, uh, he's, he's like, what are, you, what are you doing, boy? <laughs> no, come on. No, seriously, mate. Yeah. You become the butt of a lot of hack comedy in the future. I'm trying to save you from this. Man, this is a fate far worse than death. Come on, dude. Just don't go in there. Come on. Come on. Put your pants on. Put your pants on. Get the shirt on. Let's talk. Look, the Soviets, they're invading Australia. You've got to go back to the office now. Come on, man. No, come on. Don't, don't judge. And he'd probably go anyway because you can't. I don't know if you can really affect time. So I, even as I'm using the time machine, I have doubts about the time machine. I, uh, I just don't have enough self-belief. I'm like, look, the time machine's okay. Um, <laughs> um, well, Corey, I, I will say to you that this has been okay. So yep, thank, thank you, you for thank you for doing this. Um, uh, please buy the book. Buy the book. Yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yes, please. Right. No, please buy can the book. Bull- it's really fucking can good. Can we? Bull- oh, oh, hang on. It's, it is fucking good. It's it's good. Yeah, it's good. You've upgraded me, Will. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it is. It yep. is. It's a, a really fantastic book, and um, I wish you all the best with not only the book tour, but uh, you know uh, your. Uh, 
marriage. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, whatever the future might hold. Mm-hmm. Um, if people want to follow you, they want to find you know more of your stuff. Is yeah. it like a good place for them to go to? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook um, at Mr Corey White, um, and then yeah, everywhere selling my book, The Prettiest Horse in the Glue Factory. So yeah, get it at your local bookstore. Get it online. Um, steal it from somebody. Don't do steal you it. Uh, no, 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 don't steal it, don't please. Steal Actually, it. I'm sorry I said that. Yeah. Please don't steal my book. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's my book. I'm trying to get a house deposit up. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you can't steal a house. No, I can't, can't steal, steal your book. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we're done. It's okay. We're done? okay. It's okay. I was just leaving you awkwardly there for a second, but <laughs> we're done. Out. It's Did okay. You, you can hung go. me out to dry. No, you can All go. Right. Thank okay. you, mate. Thank you so much. Bye.